it's interesting. It sounds to me, and you have an engineering background. And uh, yeah, I do, but not. I wouldn't probably be hired into Figma today. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, that's a really weird place to get to it's, when it's you're like cool. when you're in a leadership position. You go, yeah. wow, if I applied today that I am in a similar position, no, I, I, I'm not sure that yeah. I would be hired. <laughs> it's it's kind of awesome. I, it, it is. When I just your team is smarter this, than you are. Yeah, before this, I was talking with a new grad uh, yeah. from Caltech and I was like, she's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Welcome to Track Changes, a podcast by Postlight. I am neither Rich nor Paul. I'm Gina Trapani, a managing partner here at Postlight. Very excited about our episode today and very excited about my co-host sitting to my right. Hello, I'm Skylar Balbus, Director of Product Design here at Postlight. This is going to be a good, good episode. We're going to get to talk about product design and a product that we really love uh, with a founder who I very much love. I want to welcome to the podcast, to the episode, Dylan Field. Hey, Gina. It's great to have you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I'm Dylan Field. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Figma, which is a collaborative interface design tool. So I've heard Figma described as Google Docs for designing apps. That Mm -hmm. might be really reductive. Yeah. So a ton of people are using products like Photoshop, Illustrator, Sketch, or even just HTML and CSS to design the next generation of digital interfaces. And Figma is a way to do that in your browser collaboratively with other people on your team. We've realized that as we're looking at the way that designers work today, designers are working these super collaborative roles. They're working with other designers, engineers, product managers, marketing people, but their tools were sort of stuck in the Stone Ages and they're all offline and single player. So we thought, well, what if you could make it more like a Google Doc? And that's where the impetus and origin of Figma was. Right. You've described it as kind of a multiplayer multiplayer yep, tool. Exactly. I, li- I like that description. We've used Figma on several projects. And I think my favorite thing is when somebody is in an internal meeting presenting something in Figma, and I'm not in that meeting. Mm-hmm. And I open the Figma file, and I just type in like really hot pink comic sans, hi, everyone. Uh, and I can hear them from across the office. <laughs> that's one of my favorite moments. It's awesome. Yeah, we often are working with, you know, our internal client teams as well. So it's like such it's 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 a lot easier to share a link to a file than be like, okay, I uploaded the thing and okay, now you can download it. Wait, that's not the right version. It's really helpful to never have to worry about version control. (laughs) I mean, you made this like fundamental decision at the beginning of the product or building Figma that it was going to be browser based. That was a pretty risky and ambitious decision to make. I mean, even the time you made it. So Figma's what, two years old? So we launched two years ago, but we actually started working on it in August 2012. And we went full time sort of in this direction in June 2013. And originally in June, in August 2012, we were going, okay, we really believe in WebGL, which is a way to use the GPU in your browser. And we thought, okay, this is going to be the future of creative tools. And at first we thought that you'd make it more accessible, make it so that anyone could use a creative tool just by going to link. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really figure out the collaboration part till later. And we looked at computational photography. So think like, the typical word photoshopping or swapping faces or, you know, making selections, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Looked at photo editing for a bit. Mm-hmm. Then we kind of zoomed out and went, wait a second, why would you do photo editing on desktop when everyone's taking pictures on mobile? And right, then and we that went, doesn't make sense. Because exactly. that was kind of like the era of native, of native apps, actually, native yep. mobile apps, like 2012 to 2013. So, yep. okay. So we kind of built this like simple Lightroom in the browser and we knew we could do like basically anything with WebGL. 
And the question was, what? And then we kind of went, well, okay, photo editing to Photoshop. And we went, okay, actually, there's a million use cases for Photoshop. And we focused on interface design as a case that we really cared deeply about. And that, then we kind of realized as part of that, that the, the key part was collaboration, not accessibility. Accessibility was secondary to collaboration. So accessibility was the first principle, but then exactly. it came to, oh, but this actually. Yeah, gives actually collaboration is even more important. The ability to like work in the cloud and not have to worry about versions, like you said, and have that single source of truth and link. So let's back up just a little bit. What is WebGL? So before Figma, before WebGL, there were people that made tons of creative tools in the browser. So Aviary, for example, which is also New York-based, yes. was one of the companies that did that. And they had an entire suite around it. But I think they're limited by the technologies of their time. Right. So they were doing things like building stuff that they would see in the Adobe Creative Suite, but doing it with Flash. And it just wasn't powerful enough. They're in this awkward place of like, the technology wasn't powerful enough, but the design wasn't for consumers, it's for professionals. Right. And so you got like sort of some weird intersection between those two audiences, mm-hmm. but it didn't quite work. And then uh, I think everyone thought, okay, there's no way you can do creative tools in the browser. Right. And then uh, my co-founder and I were naive enough to be like, no, no, like we're pretty sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that this would have felt like the biggest risk to me at that time for you to say, okay, we're going to do this in the browser. Because on one hand, I'm like, the target customer, and tell me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is, is, is a professional, professional who's going to be yeah. willing to download an app. And yep. then I would just worry so much about just running up against the limitations of the platform, which is the browser, right? WebGL is actually is a, an API, right, inside mm-hmm. modern browsers. Effectively, it like, uses Canvas yeah. as a backing. But you weren't scared. You were like, I'm, well, this, is, this is just the way. I mean, I was also fortunate to work with my co-founder, who's absolutely amazing. His name is Evan Wallace, and you can see his work at madebyevan.com. Mm-hmm. And so you might have seen, if you were paying attention on Hacker News like over the past five, six years, every six months or so, he has this one demo, which is a ball in a pool of water. Uh-huh. And you move the ball around, and the water ripples, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And it's Evan, so he made an afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, which makes everybody else in the world feel insecure, but that's just how <laughs> Evan is. And he's like the most <laughs> humble guy. He's also the sweetest person. And so I was not really believing it was possible either. And Evan was pretty bullish that it was possible. And so we started de-risking it and just kind of breaking it down into pieces and seeing, okay, with sort of the idea that you should be able to do this, what are the limitations what do we run into? Found pretty quickly that the limitations were things like you can't access fonts in the browser. We were starting to run into some memory stuff and um, like, I'm sure. I think, but, but <laughs> that actually, sounds like an understatement. <laughs> well, we got really lucky. Um, Mscripten was starting to be developed around the same time period by Mozilla. Mm-hmm. And then what's now WebAssembly, sort yeah. of the, the breadcrumbs were being laid towards that. But do you feel kind of a little bit at the mercy of where browsers are going or like what, what will be available and how? Or do you feel like this is a forcing function that makes us be more creative? Yeah, I think constraints give you creativity for sure. Looking back, there are probably more things than we realized that could have been issues. But now looking forward, we have a really good relationship with like Chrome, for example, and Mozilla. I bet. Yeah. And you know, we're in good contact with them and they actually prioritize things that affect our customers sometimes. For example, like there's an open issue now for being able to figure out how to access fonts potentially that Chrome might be working on as a permission-based API. You know, there's a long history of fingerprinting, and you don't that's why you don't want to make it so that as you go around the internet. You don't want people to see all the fonts that are installed on your computer. Right. Because that could be a privacy issue. Mm-hmm. But then Figma, in order to create a professional design tool, you have to access fonts. Right. So what do you do? You know, you can use a desktop app or you can make it so that people install software natively that has them access the fonts. And we chose to do both. But the real solution would be to have the browser make an API that lets you press allow. Yes, Figma can access my fonts and it serves it up from the computer instead. Right. And it gives you the outlines and gives you a list of all the fonts. 
Right. So you're actually helping to shape both the future, the roadmap for where, where, where browsers are going. Hey, Rich, let's interrupt for a second and tell people that if they need to solve complexity in their own organization and want to build something really sophisticated that would really, in other, in many instances, demand complexity, they should get in touch with us. We will take really, really baffling stuff and make it simple for you to build new things. And simple to use. We've got That's great right. designers as well. And then we'll hand it off to your engineering team or your in-house product team and they'll feel really good about it. Yes. That's how we work. We're Postlight and you can send an email to us at hello at postlight.com that goes to me and Rich and we like getting them. Let's get back to the show. Um, so you have an engineering background and your and your co-founder does. And it sounds like this was a little bit of like a prove you wrong situation. Like you all are saying we can't do like it was like an engineering challenge that yeah. you wanted to that you wanted to solve. I like exactly. that a lot. And also, I mean, it's um, a rendering challenge, too. Right. So uh, there are ways to potentially make like rendering engine that's faster than current solutions if you really know what you're rendering. And so by being opinionated about that. You know, we don't have to go to the legacy of all the raster stuff that everyone else does. Yeah. So what's it like coming from kind of an engineering background and making a tool like for designers? I think it's pretty fun. It's very meta. I was doing some design work before Figma too. So it wasn't like I was coming from nothing, but I definitely was not, not like in a professional design role before Figma. I was pretty surprised when I started doing design, a design internship, because I kind of uh, took a semester off of college and I thought maybe I'll go into engineering, maybe I'll go into design, maybe product. Like I don't really know. I'm confused. So I'll try to sort it out outside mm-hmm. of school so I don't like waste money. And I was just, I showed up and started using Fireworks on a day-to-day basis. And Fireworks is like the best tool by far. When I looked at Photoshop and Illustrator as comparison points and Sketch was, no one knew about that then. And Fireworks would crash all the time. You know, it was, it was still the best tool for the job. But then we'd have like this Dropbox folder of all these mock-ups and no one really knew what to do with them. And furthermore, if I wanted to edit someone else's work, I'd have to like recreate it every single time. Right. Right. And so I, I think we had a sense of the pain points. And then as we talked to more and more designers, we started hearing all these things like, well, it'd be amazing if dot, 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 but that would never be possible, right? And like when you start hearing that a lot uh, and really drilling into the fundamental problems, and then also looking at comparable industries, like like you mentioned, Google Docs, it's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff isn't actually rocket science in terms of like, it's pretty useful if you can make it. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, well, how useful? How much of the time? Right. And so multiplayer was an interesting one where, you know, it's not like people are constantly, in most situations, they're not constantly editing together. Right. But when you want to, you really want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and furthermore, I think it's more about, like, not having to worry about versions or not having to worry about what happens if someone opens your file while you're in it. Right. Uh, will that corrupt it? Like, you don't really know. It's this kind of constant fear you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And to be able to work with that anxiety, I think, is a pretty great thing. There's also like a funny thing that happens when you are collaborating with somebody else in a file where you you develop a set of etiquette around yeah. that too, where you may have never spoken to this person before, but you will both kind of agree like, here's my cursor, there's your cursor. We're going to like hover over them for a second <laughs> and then we're going to just like go our separate ways and come back. And like, it, it's a really nice balance that just sort of naturally happens because everybody is on the same playing field. One of the, the other projects I had worked on here at Postlight where we had a collaboration with a designer. We were not using Figma, and there were three of us huddled around my laptop, and we were all trying to find the right gradient. 
And it's really hard to have three sets of hands oh, on one keyboard yeah. mm-hmm. working on figuring out like the perfect gradient for anything. And I think if we had had that kind of tool, we all could have been separately figuring out, well, okay, what's the best gradient for this kind of thing? I'm thinking about it in this kind of way. We could have been able to to diverge and converge a little bit more in, in a balanced way. Totally. Yeah, some of the times, like looking back when I was doing individual design work, that I felt like I both learned the most, but also got to the best solutions where when I was collaborating with other people, like in that setup where I was working with somebody directly, one person in particular was my mentor at Flipboard, DDA, He's now at Uber. But yeah, we would, you would just like, he's like, hey, can I drive for a second? Yeah, of course you can drive. Go for it. <laughs> and it's just like you learn so much by watching other people work. Are there other creation tools kind of on the market now that you find like inspirational or aspirational or interesting in, in any way? One that I've been following for a long time that I really like is ScreenFlow. Yeah. I think it's been out for at least five years now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, um, a, it's a screencast or a screen recording exactly. tool. Exactly. It just yep. keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not like in the browser. I think another video one that I like is is Loom. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. Coda is interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As is Notion. Oh, yeah. Notion is a really mm-hmm. interesting yeah. product. And yeah. uh, Repl is another one that I think is kind of cool. Oh, um, I, don't, I don't know that one. I'll yeah. They're really interesting. It's repl.it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's early, but they just I think raised around, and it's cool to see the way that they're just uh, reaching kids as well who are oh. programming for the first time with their service. Cool. Um, and then I've seen a lot of people use Airtable recently. Oh, Airtable is fantastic. Is also in heavy use here yep. at Pulselite. Airtable is really great. So you're making a, a product for people who make products, and it's all about collaboration. How does Figma interface and interact with their customers and like how do you take feedback and like how, I'm sure that everyone who uses your product has opinions about yep. how it works. Um, what's what's that like? It's actually one of the coolest things because we have such great feedback that we get from customers and also I mean we all use it internally before it even goes out in the first place. So everything that you ever see has already gone through at minimum one week of use by the team in our staging environment. And then from there, it's usually a much more than a week. Yeah, And we have a pretty robust support team, many of which are coming from in backgrounds where they, you're smiling, so hopefully that means you, you have, spend some time with like them. I have like a novel, so shout out to Josh. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for helping me with my work. It's great. <laughs> Josh is fantastic. And then we, uh, but we have like this this great group of people in support. And That's a lot so of them are cute. coming from, from uh, like bootcamp backgrounds where they've actually studied design or computer science and they've wanted to like learn more about it. And, uh, and also we're trying to do something where more of the team actually spends time with support when they go into the company as an onboarding step as well. Right. But yeah, so then as people write in, you know, you'd be amazed at the, the detail and level of feedback. Like you're not the only person who has written a novel. It, a lot of people have, and it's in this like very deep, insightful feedback and thoughts yeah. about how things should work or not work. You might be not surprised to learn that designers are very opinionated. What? I uh, know, right? And it's kind of cool because, you know, it's not not all designers will, this one is to be able to see the problems that write are right in front of them rather than sort of like a secondary or third level yeah. of the problem. Like some, still, even though people are designers, sometimes it's like they're, they're users too and you're blinded by that. Right. But at the same time, a lot of the things that, like, if we just were to follow exactly what our users said, sometimes I feel like we'd actually build something pretty good mm-hmm. uh, after mm-hmm. getting that for first core insight, right? Right. Um, right. So to challenge ourselves to, you know, try to think at more abstractions and figure out, like, what are the things people are not asking for but really want? Yeah. I mean, this is something we have to do with clients. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Constantly, yeah, all, right? All the time. We get a client request to, like, move the rectangle. 
And then so, someone and then like Skylar like, says, OK, off. let's back up like three levels and yeah. talk about what we're trying to solve for here. Right. 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 So you're getting you're getting your users are not just asking to move the rectangle, like move the rectangle. And here's why. Well, so here's the, <laughs> actually a great example. It's like literally move the rectangle. Um, <laughs> so uh, one of the questions we ask ourselves is if you're a designer who can code, what are the things that you can do faster in code than you can do in your design tool of choice? And there's a lot of answers to that question. But all those things are opportunities for Figma. And so one example is, let's say that you've got a list, you know, a bunch of list items. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to rearrange those in the selection. Right now, if you are in a design tool, you have to move one of those list items out of the way, mm -hmm. move the other ones up, move the list item down, mm -hmm. uh, make sure all your spacing is correct. It's like a bit of a pain. Yeah. So we started to ask ourselves, like, well, how do you tell this in code? Well, you usually make some container for it. And then you can like rearrange things that way. So we explored that for a bit. And then we thought, well, wait a second. What if you, we want Figma to be freeform. You don't have to set it up all the time. What if instead, if you can just make a selection and then you're able to drag handles to rearrange things if it's equally spaced? We prototyped it. It had, seemed really promising. Mm -hmm. So we started like a really rapid feedback loop around that with designers and engineers working closely together. And we made it a lot better. Sent out some users, got some early feedback, and got to the point where we now have this thing we call smart selections. Which really helps you move rectangles. Going back to your point, right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you know, and it's such a simple thing, but it can save you know minutes at a time and add it up. That can be you know hours and hours and hours of work that you get back. Yeah. And furthermore, like it's kind of this unstated cost of all the time that you have to move rectangles around is time that you're not in a direct feedback loop with your tool, right. and you're not able to just get thoughts out of your head onto paper. So how do we make it easier for you to get those thoughts onto paper so that you're able just to work? So you've been at a few different places mm -hmm. in your career. You MSR, Microsoft Research, LinkedIn, Flipboard. I'm interested to hear like what being the CEO has been like for you. Like what's been surprising? What did you bring along with you from other places that you were at that you really liked? Because um, I feel like building culture and building team is one of the toughest challenges of being a leader. And when you grow at the rate that you have in the short short amount of time, like your role shifts. Totally. I hope Figma is a very warm place. Um, actually, someone was just describing it to me as wholesome, which I thought was really Aww. interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's, and, that's and I was, yeah, I was I like, that wow. as a compliment. I took it as a someone, huge compliment. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, wow, this is awesome. It's very collaborative, which maybe is not a surprise. Um, <laughs> uh, very humble. We have a lot of really brilliant people, and I'll, I'll brag for them. You know, I think most people also are unafraid of like taking pretty bold bets and trying stuff that's pretty out there in terms of the product, in terms of like you know areas and directions they want to head. Yep. And so in terms of getting there, I also think we're customer, pretty customer obsessed. And like, I think that's something that definitely started early on. Um, a lot of other things, honestly, I mean, there's sort of my role is that I get to create these feedback loops where if I think that something is a desirable cultural trait that we should keep going on, you know, I'll, I'll reward it, uh, we'll yeah. highlight it and I'll elevate it. But, you know, or maybe I'll take you outside in private and say, hey, like, I think that was not something you should have done. Mm -hmm. If it's something that's like very counter to our culture. But I think most of it is just hiring the right people. Yeah. And once you, in recognizing what and labeling what's happening, once you have some momentum culturally about what the way you're doing things, mm -hmm. uh, figuring out how to label it and then like identify it to everybody else and create a language around that. Right. And then continue to highlight it. It's kind of like this interesting feedback loop that starts to happen. Right. What does the next couple of years for Figma look like? I mean, to me, it's the sort of North Star of Figma is how to make it so that anyone. Uh, can create software. It's really democratizing software. So in terms of like how to get there, I think of it as in terms of three planks. The first is the tool. We have to make it so the tool is accessible, get powerful. It's a really hard balance to strike. 
you know, usually when you add more com- power to a soft piece of software, it also grows more complex. Yes, absolutely. And more settings, more exactly. and more settings, and more and more configuration. It's yeah. a very tough balance to strike. One other example is sometimes when you have, you know, it's so tempting to want to say, uh, I have X and I have Y. If I just merely combine X and Y, it'll be amazing. Right. And sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it actually makes the product so much more complex because of irreducible complexity and issues that arise three levels down that are hard to predict. And so just trying to be really brutally honest about additional new features and the combinatorial explosion of complexity that can create. And then also just like, how do we keep the quality really high right. as we add more things and make sure that we constantly are improving performance? And then the second plank for me is community. And so part of that is community within teams and part of that is community across the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we all come from communities where we've been inspired to go down the path of software. Yes. But how do we create communities or partner with communities across the world that make it so that more people can know that path as well? And I think also within the context of a team, how do you make it so that more people have awareness of what's happening with design? That sounds like a big challenge, though, targeting both kind of pro users and yep. and and onboarding people who haven't you know worked the software. Absolutely. I mean, right now we're before. really based on pro. Right. And we're able to use it if you're a designer who's an individual. And we have a ton of people that do. But that's not who we're like necessarily marketing towards. But 80% of our weekly active users, 80%, are outside the United States. Wow. 56% oh. of our paid teams are outside the United States. And so there's this huge global thing that's happening here. Mm-hmm. And so we'll pull up domains of the teams that just start paying us. And I'll be like, okay, they paid us in the last week. <laughs> and it'll be the most random companies. Right. And I think it's just something that's happening globally right now is that we're we're seeing software enable the entire economy. And that's been a trend that's been happening for a long time, but I think it's underappreciated how much it's happening right now. Right. And I think until you start to see the diversity of areas of the economy that are that's happening with, and also geographies that's happening in, uh, can you fully like appreciate that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the third plank, though, uh, for making it so that anyone can create software, I think, is resources. So how do you make it so that those communities, once they form, can also make the resources that make it easier to create things in a tool in the first place. What do you mean by resources? I think it's more about content. Gotcha. So, um, you know, in development and engineering, we have this concept of open source. Yes. Which hasn't really translated to design yet. Yet. Do you think it will? How I, how, I, I, how will that happen? I, I think it could. I think um, there's a lot of work that people recreate every day. Yes. And I true. think that... Uh, if we made it so that there was a better ability for people to reuse work mm-hmm. uh, across the world, mm-hmm. we actually have more design jobs rather than less. Everybody's so I, looking at me. Uh, yes, that sounds <laughs> great. Let's do it. <laughs> Dylan and I just turned and glanced meaningfully at Skylar. <laughs> the, the reason why is I think that designers, they're, you know, yes, like we make the best of icons. But for a UX designer, I don't think that like that's really what you're measured on. It's more about how do you comprise these visual assets into flows and, um, and language that people can interact with. I think that we can create more ability for people to do that and therefore more jobs because I guess across the board, like actually IBM is a really good example. Like five years ago, back in 2012, they were at 76 engineers to every one designer across their company. And last year when we looked at the data, they were at eight engineers to every one designer across the company. And on mobile, there are three engineers to every one designer across the company. Yeah, that's a big shift. A huge shift. That's happening across the board at all these different companies because Mm -hmm. 
I think as AWS and software development makes things easier to build, yeah, it's not enough just to build something. No, it has it to not. work in a really great way. Mm-hmm. And that's the designer's job, and we need more people that are designers. Mm-hmm. And yep. so whether people know it or not yet, the demand is there. So if, so if one of our listeners is an aspiring product designer or designer in general, what, how would you tell them to get started? I think figuring out a problem that you care about or finding a business in your area is a good way to start to dig your teeth in and then just try to figure out how to make software to suit their needs. Another thing that I think no one seems to be doing but is a really good way to build a portfolio up is actually look at the open source world. A lot of open source projects really need designers. That There's no truer statement than that. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very true. And, and I think most open source developers will, will like welcome you with open arms if you show up in the doorstep. Yes, that's true. Open source, though, so, so many open source projects are just so hard to approach. Though, that's right. Because like you're, you know, you're getting a like, so like a GitHub repository. Yeah, or, if you could or, do that, you could definitely survive in a corporate environment. <laughs> <laughs> that's true.